Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. get started i needed a skeletor joke and i just assumed you knew more about skeletor than i did oh um <laughs> uh yeah, yeah yeah skeletor he's the one with the big sword and i think that's he-man d- right yeah oh yeah that's he-man skeletor is the one with the hair <laughs> that is and he's muscular without a shirt on. Is that still He-Man? Yeah, it's still. I mean, I think That's he's also okay. very muscular. It's weird. Okay. It's kind of like a weird, like, I am. I look like I'm beefy dude, but I have a skull for a head. Yeah, I've got only bones, but they are beefy, beefy bones. I almost call them beefy scones. Beefy scones. <laughs> ske- skeletal bones are called scones now. Yeah. So uh, that weird digression. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> that was our shortest intro yet. I think I we're know. improving. We're, we're almost podcasters. We're almost podcasting. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of It's Probably Not Aliens. Uh, my name is Scott Nicewander. I am a He-Man enthusiast. Obviously, you know this about me. But other than that, I have no other knowledge about any other subject, which is why I'm joined by Tristan. Hey, everybody. I'm Tristan. I'm the person who reads the history and the archaeology for these episodes of this show where we talk about ancient aliens and uh, pseudo archaeology and pseudo history and such. Yes, we learn a lot. We talk about ancient civilizations and we talk about ancient astronaut theories from the show Ancient Aliens. I use the word ancient a lot just then. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's okay. Oh, I, I forgive you. The audience, they are Thank a crueler you. lot. Actually, the yeah. show hasn't even aired Ooh. yet, so we don't even know. Our audience <laughs> could be, recorded- our audience is great. We've never met you. We don't know who you are, but I'm just assuming. <laughs> we, are, we are recording so far in advance on these episodes that Tristan did the math a couple seconds ago. We're recording this in August. And if you're listening to this, theoretically, it's January for you. That's how far in advance we're going. That's so fun. Yeah. I'm, What's I, the future like? Make a prediction, Tristan. Uh, Joe Biden resigns and uh, okay, is replaced with Skeletor. Well, nope. we kind of already did Skeletor. That was the last one. We did one. Skeletor. We don't need a rerun. No, but he gets replaced with uh, somebody that everybody can agree on as being a person to go for. And that is uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter. Dog the Bounty Hunter. A wild, 
What is what would you think a president bounty hunter would go after, <laughs> Mr. Bounty Hunter? <laughs> Mr. Bounty Hunter? No, uh, well, if we're gonna have we're gonna have president bounty hunter, we got to get uh, what's his face, um, guy who plays the Mandalorian. Everyone likes him, right? Yeah, Pedro Pascal. Pa- people love him. I I do love him. I love him a whole lot. So good turnout. We get Pedro Pascal, President Pedro Pascal. Yep. Bad turnout. We get the mm. Uncanny Valley 3D Luke Skywalker from the finale. Okay. <laughs> Tristan, you have to be messing with me now because on our third episode of this podcast, we talked about Nazca lines and there we opened by you being like, Scott, I know you have a rule about not talking about Star Wars. Does it apply to podcasts? And I was hesitant to say no. But now we're talking about Star Wars again on a podcast where we've got all these hot takes and people are going to stop listening to us if we say the cor- our opinions, which, by the way, are correct opinions. And I, we're, we're talking about Nazca people again. Yes. Yes. Um, that was intentional. What a wild connection. I, I intentionally did a thing. Yeah. So today's today we start with the Nazca people, but we're kind of talking about a thing that has international. Um, there's basically no corner on earth where this practice did not happen, but mm-hmm. uh, we can just get into what the ancient alien claim is. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today? Okay. So one of the things that comes up in a lot of ancient alien text or TV shows or whatnot is this practice where people elongate their skulls. Yes. Now, uh, very early on in the Nazca culture, they obviously practiced elongated skulls. And ancient aliens people have come across some of these skulls that are elongated and concluded that this must be the bones of an extraterrestrial. That's the Ah, most intense. Okay. Less because if you notice in alien lore that the most common alien are the greys who have big heads. They sure do. Now They're everywhere. Now, the way ancient aliens at least goes a little bit, they don't automatically claim that the skulls might be alien skulls. They're probably smart enough to know that someone might do a DNA test someday. I was going to say that feels like it feels like you you could have made that claim before the sort of discovery of DNA testing. Like you could just find a skull and be like, I don't know. Looks weird. It's probably an alien, right? Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the inspiration of another great film that nobody has any complaints about, which is uh, Indiana Jones, the best Indiana Jones, which is Kingdom yes. of the Crystal Skull. Obviously. Where the uh, elongated heads sort of play a role, and I believe it even takes place in South America. So this is sort of like in that zone. That's a, okay. I have to ask do you actually think that about Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? That's the best one? As long as there are no more follow up questions, yes. Yes, I do. Well played. <laughs> Especially the refrigerator thing. <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah. Uh, so that's too falsifiable. So the most common thing that the ancient aliens people go for is that aliens saw or that humans saw aliens and their skulls and said, I want to do that too. I want to imitate them so that we can look like the the gods or whatever interpretation of aliens they had. Yeah, it's an homage. Mm-hmm. It's their cosplaying. Extreme cosplay as aliens. Yeah. And according to the show, these skulls are found all over the world and scientists can't explain why all these different cultures picked up this practice simultaneously. Well, mm. not simultaneously, but just they all picked it up. Independently. Yeah, like in, in, independently of one another. There seems to be sprouts up all around the, the world. I, I'll be honest. I genuinely do not know 
why that practice happened and i would love to to learn and if you've got information for me now this is probably a common one that if you have heard about like aliens ancient ancient astronaut theory this is probably one you've come across before the elongated or at least something funky is going on with the elongated skulls so we're we're getting into this yeah oh my goodness it's it's like it immediately started thunderstorming as soon as we started talking about this subject the mood is set well uh let's talk about bones shall we specifically let's talk about bones as someone who as the time this podcast either has a newborn baby or is just about to have a newborn baby let's talk about baby skulls yeah Uh, that's fun (laughs) congrats by the way yeah um okay so uh, the way that skulls are elongated is by putting like either putting putting some sort of like thing on a child's head it can either be like a strap or like wood and you put it you wrap it around you wrap it around the baby's head uh, mm-hmm, usually mm-hmm. from the ages of one to six months. The reason has to do with all sorts of fun stuff, but uh, the big one is us being such smart geniuses uh, as species. Yeah. So we have big heads, like as a species. Uh, so do our our chimpanzee friends. Our heads are our brains are our brains and heads are very big compared to the size of our body. So much so that uh, having to make our head go through somebody's pelvic bone can be a bit of a problem. This is why childbirth for humans is actually a particularly painful and dangerous experience compared to other animals. Yeah, I've that I've always wondered that because it does seem like animals out in the wild can just give birth and keep moving whereas humans it really seems like it's an enormous ordeal that is a whole medical procedure yeah i'll know more about that by this point when the time the show comes out (laughs) um so the reason so that our heads are big and we can't even fully grow um our heads when we're born and this is another reason why you know when a deer is born it can just sort of get up after a few minutes and just kind of wander off on its own and babies are just kind of lay there yeah Useless. Why aren't why don't you have a job yet, baby? Get up, <laughs> get off the ground, start doing human stuff. Yeah, human. So the reason is, is that in order to enable us to be born without killing our mothers, yeah. we have to basically come out like half cooked and we have to do the rest of our development outside of the body. Yeah, we got to learn a whole lot after we're after we're out of there now we are born with a pretty small brain but in the one to six month range that's when we do most of our like brain growing and development speak for yourself tristan i have (laughs) a pretty big brain i got a big old brain inside my head Mm -hmm. i do actually I, i there is a bit in my real life and maybe online that my actual head currently as an adult is very small it is incredibly small i don't know if you can tell over camera but no hats ever fit me. They're all too big. I can't wear a rain jacket because the hoods just go right over my eyes. Every single one of them. My head has nothing, has no volume to it. I don't know if nonfiction podcasts can have fan art, but um, <laughs> my mind goes to, I think it was the Super Mario movie where uh-huh. this is the huge yeah. boss and the little tiny I know head. exactly what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> If you're out there, render me looking exactly like that big old like suit, big shoulders, teeny bitty head. Yep. Uh, so yeah, brains. So our brains grow a whole lot in that one to six month range. And in order to contain that growing brain, our skulls 
are not one piece when we're born. Mm -hmm. If you ever look at a skull, you'll notice that there's like sort of like seams on it. And those are the different plates of the skull that then fuse together as the baby grows up and their brain gets to the point where it's going to get. Mm -hmm. And so the baby, when they're first born, uh, I like... It only takes a whole year for the skull to fully fuse together. And so babies have a surprisingly soft head. It's very yeah, terrifying. <laughs> yes, I do. I do know that. And, but this is like if you've ever heard in your science class that like humans have more bones when they're children than they do when they're an adult. Like this is part of that, I think. I don't know if that's even scientifically true, but this is this is what I was taught. It is like, correct. Yeah. Yeah. OK, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's part of that where your skull starts off as several different pieces and it kind of fuses together. But yeah, I have heard of things like a soft spot on a baby's skull. I don't know where or what that is, which is also why to this day I am terrified to hold babies because I feel like I will break them. Well, it turns out that uh, you can grow your, like as your skull is growing, if you put a strap or, a, you know, put the baby's head between plates, that it'll grow extended into whatever kind of position. So that's basically how you make uh, elongated skull. Yeah. Uh, don't do that, I, by the way. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, well, because I've, I've definitely had friends who have had children where they need special helmets to make sure that their skulls are growing in a particular way. This is like a version of that, but instead of it being a normally sort of round skull shape, it, mm -hmm. would, be, it would be taking that same concept, but making them elongated. Now, research has shown that this doesn't have a negative impact on cranium size or uh, intellectual development. Still, don't do it. <laughs> Don't, don't do it. Don't, do, don't it. do it. Don't do it. Don't do it to your child, please. Or uh, anyone's child. You know, don't do it to don't do it to a child. please. Yeah. Now, the practice of skull modification or as it's called, let me find it uh, again, because it has a it actually has like an archaeology name or uh, anthropology name. Artificial cranial deformation. Oh, yeah, that's good. Hit me with that one more time. Artificial cranial deformation. It is as old as time itself. There are the first cases of artificial cranial deformation uh, was found in a group of Neolithic Homo sapiens found in Iraq. So it predates written history. Mm -hmm. But this practice has been picked up uh, across the world. We have early cases like... Uh, uh, Hippocrates, Hippocrates, Hippocrates. Uh, whichever one uh, annoys you the most, uh, in 400 BCE wrote a history of a long-headed people he called the Macrocephali, who were tribes mm. people who lived either in Africa or India. Macrocephali literally meaning big head um, <laughs> in Greek. Incredible. Yeah, every time you look at like Greek sources, you're like, oh yeah, this is the language where science comes from. That's right. I knew macro, so I got that correct. Mm -hmm. Now, this practice has popped up all over the world in surprising places. And I don't know if it is a practice that, you know, spread out with humanity or if it's one that ha we have come to independently through different uh, ways. But the place where it was probably the most famously practiced is in Central Asia, the mm -hmm. sort of big flat land in the center of the Asian continent, making up like a lot of the uh, former Soviet Stan countries, Afghanistan, too, as well as like uh, Mongolia. This is essentially like, you know, like the steppes people. Yeah. 
And uh, one group that practiced it probably most famously from our history are the Huns, who were nomads from Central Asia who moved into the Caucasus and Eastern Europe and famously are the group of people who uh, founded Hungary. Ah, yeah. I thought you were going to say are famously the people that uh, Mulan defeated in the movie Mulan. Here's the wild thing about Stabs people. Both are true. (sighs) Yeah, you'll find really interesting history of like similar groups of people running into like Russians and Eastern Europeans as well as like the Chinese. And it is huge. So the Huns are essentially like nomadic horse riding warriors that kind of uh, travel in, you know, with big hordes of horses and such. And they uh, spread the practice of artificial cranial deformation. I don't know, we need a funner word for that. Uh, head stretching. Um, head stretching. Sure. They moved the practice of head stretching to cultures that they ran into as they became a kind of cultural force in themselves. So you can see this practice spread to women in Eastern Europe and even Central Europe. Like I saw some from like the kingdom of Lombardy, which is sort of like the uh, kingdom of uh, Northern Italy. So it got pretty far. Interesting. And we'll even talk a little bit later about how it made itself all the way to France. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Cultural cousins of the Huns also spread through the Bactria and uh, the Uwadzi into the Kushan Empire, which is a empire that existed in sort of modern day Afghanistan, Pakistan, and northern India. Okay. And the way we know that is because we found sculptures and friezes that sort of show off people with elongated skulls. Another group called the Alkan Huns uh, practiced it, and they became kind of like known for it to the point where they oh. even uh, showed pictures of themselves with their elongated skulls on their coins. Oh, that's so cool it's really cool on this side of the atlantic multiple tribes and nations practiced it the maya people in mexico as well as Mm -hmm. the inca in south america the chinocan and the choctaw all uh different uh native american nations from across the american continents practice it including the choctaw which would use a cradle board which is sort of like a backpack for carrying a baby They would Mm -hmm. uh, strap the head of the baby to it so that it would keep them sort of upright from flailing around while their mother is trying to, you know, go around and gather and move and such like that. Gotcha. And also as well as the Lucayan people in the Tainos who are indigenous people of places like uh, the Bahamas and the Caribbean. Ah. Uh, It's also been practiced by the Aboriginal Australians, the indigenous people of Australia. In Africa, it was practiced by the Megbetu people until as late as the 1950s. And another place where it shows a lot of widespread uh, utilization is in the South Pacific Ocean with the Polynesian people, specifically in Tahiti, Samoa, Hawaii, and uh, Puamutu and was especially common with the uh, Kalikolo people who live in the modern day nation of Vanuatu, where it is actually rumored to still be practiced to this day. And there are some pictures you can find of Vanuatu people who have elongated skulls who are living. Oh, cool. Yeah. I had no idea that it went this far... This widespread and this long throughout uh, throughout history. I mean, you're talking about going for what centuries? I mean, Neolithic people. That is hundreds of thousands of years ago. Yeah, that is, and it and to the fact that it still could be practiced even today is like that's so interesting to me. Like how big of a uh, and widespread of a concept. Yeah, and it is strange that we don't think about it as being so integral to the human experience. No. And to kind of assuade, like a lot of times, a lot of attention is drawn to where it's practiced in all of these different regions. One region we don't Mm -hmm. talk about very much, but where it's 
practiced is Europe, where it was practiced <laughs> uh, for a fairly long time, according to the archaeological record, to the point where into the 20th century, it was still being practiced in places like Toulouse, a city in France, and uh, pockets of places like uh, Russia and Scandinavia. So the, uh, the reason being that there was this uh, practice amongst the French peasantry, which is sort of called bandeau, which is a, a way to protect a baby's head when they're young, where you mm-hmm. wrap their head tightly to make sure that they don't get injured. And uh, this sort of peasant practice uh, seems to have been common part of Western European folk medicine for a long time, especially in the Toulousian region. And so that stuck around. Uh, There is writing about them and obviously it became a class symbol. There's some writings about children with extended skulls uh, showing that that is like a symbol of like lower class because not only did their parents uh, use this on them, but it meant that they were uh, following like kind of like peasant folk medicine, which was also looked down upon. That feels icky. A bit, yeah. of, a bit of classism there a little bit. But it, it not always was a low class thing. We actually have one record from the uh, region of Alsace, which is sort of the, this is one of those places where if I say what country it's in, uh, the other country will get mad at me. But it is in France today, and it is a traditional part of France and Germany that they fought over Um Historically, Um, but uh, in one archaeological dig there, they found a skull from the fifth century of a noble who had an elongated skull. So there so that is the 400s A.D. Indicating that, yeah, maybe some some uh, wealthy people also practice this. Mm -hmm. So tying it to the folk medicine of peasants while in the fifth century it had connections with nobility this probably means that it was something that started to disappear with christianization Mm. because a lot of like folk medicine and folk rituals and folk magic and stuff like that done amongst peasants are usually remnants from pre-christian europe that have sort of survived to this day oh okay that's cool didn't Mm -hmm. know that that it, it reminds me of like this idea that something could could flip flop between whether or not it tells if you're like wealthy or poor or something reminds me of like having like a tan. Do you know like the, the history of just like Europeans having tans? I can imagine that could, depending upon the technology of the day, uh, whether you do or do not have a tan could mean whether you are a peasant in a field or whether you're able to sit with your umbrella and eat bonbons with the other courtiers. Yeah, but then I believe, I don't remember if it flipped before or after, but then all of a sudden, like, being tan became ideal because if you were pale, it, pr- it meant that you were probably sick with like the, a plague or an illness or something. Yeah, you gotta love it. It flip flops between like, oh yes, I am wealthy and I am pale because pale is an indication of how great I am and how I don't have to work. And then it's like, oh, but actually now being pale means, so it's actually better to be tan. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's interesting how, how are super arbitrary things like that kind of flip flop. Yeah. And you can also see fun things like, uh, in like the 16th century, people were putting like lead paint on their face to make them look Mm -hmm. pale. So Mm -hmm. yeah, um, fun. Isn't history fun? Isn't the things that we do to our bodies to look good just lovely? I mean, Tristan, the listeners don't, they don't see us when we're Mm -hmm. podcasting. So they don't know that the two of us look incredible. Every time we show, every time we show up to record, you are dressed consistently to the nines. I mean, I- Suit, jacket, top hat, 
You've got it all. I mean, it's after six I, o'clock. You have to. Yeah. Tristan looks good, everybody. And he does a lot. I say dress for the podcast you want. <laughs> um, and apparently the podcast you want is some sort of Mr. Peanut-esque Monopoly Man vibe. Yeah, I well. don't quite I don't quite know what the idea of that podcast would be, what the premise of it would be. All I'm saying is Ancient Aliens is going to get canceled someday. And so <laughs> I got to think of the next step, you know. Start um, planning now. Yeah. So one question you might have um, when we're talking about the practice of strapping boards to babies' heads is um, why? Yes, I I was waiting until I heard how how like widespread this was because it is I just I got to know why Tristan? Now you you can probably imagine that in different cultures it had different pieces of significance but Fairly often, it seems like it boils down to a few different utilities. One is that it's a symbol of either affiliation, i.e. this is the way that we distinguish our tribe from other tribes, is that we're the ones who have the big pointy heads. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other one could be that they were a sign of social status, uh, that they had, you know, this was like what rich people looked like. Or, or they could have done it because they just wanted to look good. The same reason that we get body modification today, you know, we get piercings and stuff like that because it just looks good. It seems like the Maya didn't really have much of a significance for getting these sorts of modifications, except for uh, th that it was a it was just a thing they liked doing. Or it was aliens that they that visited them and they wanted to look like aliens because the aliens were cool. The aliens are just fashion trendsetters. They sure are. No, I, I think that's I think it's really interesting that there's several different reasons why it could be, you know, going status symbols, as we as we talked about, makes a lot of sense to me. And aesthetically pleasing, I mean, anything can be aesthetically pleasing, you know, depending on the context that you that you grow up in. I cannot shave this beard, Tristan. I am not allowed to shave my beard because Emily will not think I'm attractive anymore. I'm in a similar Catch-22 situation, so this, yes. This beard is the only thing that makes me aesthetically attractive to my partner. I mean, you would be extremely smooth if you didn't. Um, I, ha I have no hair on my tiny little baby head just <laughs> smoothed over all the way over. There we go. Ugh. Fan artist, we need smooth Scott now too. No, um, not smooth Scott. <laughs> um, the other thing is that in the South Pacific and in Australia, the an elongated head was associated with like intelligence or status or a connection to the spirit world. So there mm -hmm. are some like spiritual and like religious significance and things like that. And... There is another one that I think is particularly interesting, which is with that there are some societies, like especially in Egypt, where it, it there are people where it is actually just natural that they have elongated heads. Hmm. Like it is a thing that you can just have. And apparently this trait was one that was relatively common within the royal lines the highly incestuous royal lines of the egyptian pharaohs ah, and so okay. there were some people who did this kind of practice to sort of emulate the people who were in this uh, sort of status so it just kind of naturally occurred in some places mm -hmm. yeah. and at this day there are people uh grown adult men who regularly try to modify their skulls to look like uh chads i i realized that 
this is a weird like part of like the incel community or something where people actually like try to modify their skulls to look more chiseled or whatnot. So it's yeah. not exactly like we stop doing stuff like this. No, no. That is a part of the reason I'm not allowed to shave my beard, by the way. Because <laughs> without it, I have absolutely no jawline whatsoever. Ah. I am a weak, a weak boy. Oh What's my goodness. Opposite? You are What's painting such a disturbing picture of yourself. Come on. <laughs> What's the opposite of a chat again? I forgot. I don't know. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's me. It's a Scott. That's who it it's is. It's a Scott. Oh no. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> but like this is also not the only way that we do body modification of ourself. I mean, there's ones that everybody's familiar with, probably ones that you and I might have, might have. People mm -hmm. pierce their pierce put different parts of their body. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, people have tattoos. I have a tattoo. Oh, do you? Did I know that? What's your tattoo of? Do you want to share or no? Uh, sure. Yeah, it is a Warhammer 40k orc with a step back history logo on it. Uh, it was drawn by Scutch, the amazing uh, artist, and it's uh, it basically takes up like my shoulder blade. That's I didn't even. I don't think I knew that. And just hearing all of those words, it has cemented how much of a big, giant dork you are. And yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So yeah, not only do we get tattoos and piercings, those are the more common ones in our yeah. society today. But like there was an ancient practice of foot binding in China where they would mm -hmm. uh, make women's feet very, very small. In Western society, we would crush women's organs with corsets that were designed to make their figure more tight in the middle. The Central Asian people who practiced skull elongation, also in uh, other regions, a kind of spinoff of the, a group called the Tartars. Uh, practiced a thing called trepanation. And I, I believe they're not the only people who practice this, but trepanation where they literally uh, drill a hole in the skull hmm. uh, to kind of create like a dent on your head. Okay, okay. Uh, then there is, um, you've probably seen like people who get uh, elongated necks where they put the rings on the neck yeah, and sort of depress yeah. the collarbone to make your neck look longer. Yes. Uh, it's still practiced by some extremely rural uh, people. Mm -hmm. And like ritual scarring, that's a very common practice still today in a lot of cultures of absolutely carving uh, your skin to create scars that look cool. So like body modification is not exactly like a weird thing that we don't mm -hmm. do. Um, there's a long and storied history of us doing all sorts of stuff. Arguably stuff like trepanation being a lot more dangerous than extending the extending the skull. Yeah. Or um, would like is are braces a body modification like for your teeth in a way yeah although there is probably a medical benefit to it a lot of people get braces just to make their teeth straight and that would be a aesthetic body modification yeah so like this is not unheard of yeah so that's why in my mind um as i put under the new section which is called the moral of the story or the part where tristan <laughs> makes you sad um oh, we're, we're having lots of laughs we're goofing around we're talking about how tristan is a gorgeous handsome man who dresses <laughs> is you know uh for for every occasion all at once where and scott is sitting here with smooth head potentially smooth face tiny baby uh head we know you're smooth body. We've, we've all seen the sponsorship yes um, i know it and so we're, we're having fun what's the what how are you gonna make me sad uh well this one's not actually that sad uh it's just fairly unlikely that of all of the different types of body modifications that we do to ourselves and that it's a practice that has seen a long history of being done 
all over the world. Mm -hmm. And you could make the argument that, you know, ritual scarring was because we're trying to emulate reptile aliens because there is uh, at least one group I know of that does ritual scarring to make them look like they have scales. Uh, You could say that tattoos are us trying to impersonate aliens because they have tattoos. You could (laughs) really take any form of body modification and say that's us trying to look like aliens. And so just with everything that I've seen in our kind of cultural heritage here, Mm -hmm. I don't understand why aliens are the go to option. It's a sort of a extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And this is uh, rather thin, I would say. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like the the idea that we uh, have so much, so many examples of body modification throughout history in different cultures. It's so weird that not, not even all of them, just like a few of them, maybe, especially just this one is like, this one's aliens, though. All of the other ones, like piercings and tattoos and things, that that's not aliens. But this one's aliens. Don't ask me why. Yeah, and this one they go with because it makes heads, or specifically it looks makes skulls, because, you know, people have hair. Most people mm-hmm. have hair, I'm sorry. Um, Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for considering me. Um, but, like, it makes skulls kind of look like the aliens that we see in like, you know, UFO sightings or like on television or on the X-Files and stuff like that. So you can make that science fiction connection. So you're like, yeah, it looks like an alien skull. Although I would probably make the argument, I didn't even write this down, but I probably should point out that like if aliens do exist, which we had that whole, um, you know, two-parter to start the show with, aliens that do exist are not going to have human-like features. They're not like if if an alien has a head, I'll be surprised. But yeah. honestly, if we're going to discover intelligent life, we might not even recognize it as life immediately because it's an entire biochemistry that began on another planet. Uh, I don't imagine that they're going to have things like heads or skulls yeah. for us to emulate. Not to detract from everything you're saying because you're bringing us home to a nice good point. But do you ever play the Mass Effect series of video yep. games? So Mass Effect takes place in like one galaxy, the first three, and they're mostly humanoid aliens. There's some ones that are not like the Hanar, which look very gelatinous and interesting and very different from the rest of them, but mostly all humanoid, bipedal, sort of, you know, heads, arms, legs sort of thing. And then there was a Mass Effect Andromeda game totally different galaxy and i was like oh my goodness i can't i can't wait to see the aliens they create because now it will be something that we won't even like recognize it'll be something so bizarre and and so out there and so interesting and new and fresh in like a a sci-fi video game it's just more humanoid aliens again it's just different ones and i was just like man you had the opportunity to do the most anything creative and that game's also just a mess for a lot of other reasons if we meet alien life it'll be everything from crystalline silica that live in that like think by moving electrical signals between different crystalline structures in an uh i don't know in an asteroid belt or something or it'll be something like a what's that thing from uh hitchhiker's Guide to the galaxy super intelligent shades of blue oh yeah <laughs> but yeah this is a practice that we have a pretty long and you know pretty strong archaeological record of its practice there's lots of context and clues but nothing really points to aliens being a necessary factor i mean you you take like the science fiction out of it if there was never any sort of alien story where the aliens had these elongated skulls we would think nothing of this like ancient astronaut theorists would think nothing of this 
Really? I mean, I'm sure they might do something, but you know what I mean? Like without that context of like, well, aliens in fiction have elongated skulls. So maybe that's something. You take yep. that completely away, probably wouldn't even cross their minds to make the connections there. Precisely. So keep in mind when you are watching uh, some sort of ancient alien claim, or really this works with any sort of major claim that sounds like it really bucks your understanding of the world. Keep in mind that major claims require major evidence. And if there is a another solution, now the way that it's kind of said is the Occam's razor thing is that if it requ- if it's a, a, the simplest solution is usually the right one, but that's actually like a little bit reductive. But the answer that requires the fewest amount of assumptions, assumptions Mm. being a thing that is established to be true without evidence, then the better or the more (laughs) likely it is to be true. And there is way less assumptions being made when trying to say that uh, several times in human history, we found out that if you wrap cloth tightly around a baby's head, that their skull is uh, shaped in an interesting way. Then we saw extraterrestrial beings that just happened to have on extremely similar biology to us so much so that we started manipulating our own anatomy to start looking like them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm the one on this show that like, I mean, I think we're both in some parts, like I think it'd be very interesting if aliens were out there, but this is not, this is not convincing to me, Mm -hmm. but that is artificial cranial modification. (laughs) That's skull, skull stretching. Is that what we called it? I can't remember. Skull stretching. Yeah, let's go with it. Why not? So that's a very interesting uh, history. I, I genuinely had no idea it was so widespread, but I learned a lot. And listeners, I hope that you also learned so much listening to this podcast, which, by the way, is called It's Probably Not Aliens. Yep. If you want to hook up with our show on Twitter, we're at It's Probs Not Aliens. And if you want to catch up on our work, you can check out Scott's channel, NerdSync, talking about the world through the guise of, what is it? It's it's checking out nerd culture through the guise of curiosity and vulnerability. Yeah, something like that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work on that. Uh, if you like long video essays about incredibly niche subjects that you didn't think you'd have a strong opinion on until just the moment you clicked on the video, then come check Check it out. And Tristan's got a fantastic YouTube channel. Uh, as of this recording, you still still recently hit 100,000 subscribers, ordered that delightful silver play button headed your way. Congrats. Yep. And that's called Step Back, Step Back History. Yeah. Go check that out. Uh, leave your reviews on iTunes or whatever platform it is, because this is the stuff that really helps this show grow. Oh my so gosh, So if you can give yeah. us a nice five-star review and talk about why this show is good so other people will start listening, we would really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, we have not launched the podcast as as of our recording this episode right now. We're 15 episodes in. We have no idea how we're doing. Let us know how we're doing. Five-star reviews. We'll accept four-star reviews <laughs> just because I made a whole big deal about it for a while. Just honest reviews. would really appreciate it. And of course, telling your friends is like one of the best things you can do. That's how that's how people really... I, the only reason I listen to the podcasts I listen to now is because my friends told me about them. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I want to listen to it. So yep. if you have friends and you want them to enjoy something with you and have these cool, fun history lessons and conversations about aliens and uh, history, then let them know. Let them know that this podcast exists. Yep. And next week we're going to Roswell. So until then, uh, the truth is out there, friends. Probably. Probably.